Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing? It's good to see you. Welcome to Sanctuary. I'm so glad you're here. So this morning, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be doing a few things. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 through 24. We're going to be unpacking that as we finish Ephesians. And so I'm going to be doing a message this morning on prayer. It's going to be talking about prayer. Then the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to be talking about a guy named Tychicus in the Bible. He's an amazing person. We're going to find out, discover who he was. And then we're going to celebrate communion together. So if you want to stand to your feet for the reading of God's word, uh, we'd love you to do that. Stand to your feet. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 18, says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. And stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. And ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And I'm in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. And to bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. And I've sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we are doing and to encourage you. And peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. And may God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness. And may God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. And Father, thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word that it speaks to us even today. And Lord, we're honored by every person that could be here today. And I pray, Lord, that your word would come alive, that it would speak to our hearts, that it would give us hope and strength and insight, and that we would hear the voice of God through the word of God. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, well, it's awesome to see you this morning. I also want to remind you, we have a Good Friday service right here at 6.30. And I know some people, like, they've done Good Friday and some have not. But let me tell you why you really would want to be here. Good Friday is what completely prepares you for Easter. It is the preparation. There's a part one and part two. Good Friday is part one, so you can really grasp the immensity of part two. And so I'd love to invite you here. I will be speaking. I will be doing the Good Friday message, and it's going to be a, it's going to be a very powerful experience here, so you're all invited to that. So this morning, though, what we're going to do is going to continue in Ephesians, and what I want to do this morning is unpack the verses there. But I want to begin this way. I want to begin this way here because this is what I want to do here. You can see there's this table in front of you and uh, it's got some good looking stuff on the table here. And so what I want to do is I want to talk to you a little bit about this table here. I want to talk about a communion table, but I also want to talk about this table from the reference point of Ephesians here. And so and I want to begin here this morning because we might sing songs that maybe you haven't heard the songs and what's an Ebenezer all about. And, uh, and so we're singing the songs there. We may be reading this passage of scripture and the Bible maybe doesn't like totally make sense to you. Like you don't totally get that. But let me say this. Everybody gets 
this right here. This table here with this food on it, everybody gets this. And what this, what this talks about here is that, that Jesus wants to have a relationship with us. Notice it's something where you would sit down and you would converse. In fact, the Bible says this here. It says in Psalm 23, verse 5, it says that God has prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea said this. He said that, um, he said, if you will open your heart, open your heart to me, he says, we will sit down together and we will dine with one another. He said, look, I'm, this is, he's talking to the church. Look, I stand at the door of your heart and like I'm knocking and I like to come in there because I'm no longer in, he says. But look, if you'll open the door, we will sit down together at a table and we will like have a meal together which talks about relationship like everybody gets that. It's not about a ritual here. And so what I want to say is this here is that Jesus gave his life, gave his life so you could have a reservation at this table. Jesus gave his life, his blood was shed, his body was broken so you could sit at this table with him. And so, but we have an option. We have an option whether or not that we want to sit down at this table or not. Some people would rather not sit at the table, and, uh, but, he, but he offers the table for all of us, the food at the table, and we could be here, and we could enjoy the table. But you know, the truth is, this is hard to speak with a grape in your mouth on Sunday morning. But we have an option about this table. Some people are like this. Some people are like this. You know, I think, I think I'm going to take, take some of the food at the table, but, uh, Table's not for me. All those hypocrites at the table. I don't want to sit at the table. Some people choose not to to accept God's invitation at the table. So, what I want to do now is park that thought, and I'm going to come back to that thought. But what I want to say is this: We went in Ephesians here. We've been reading about stand firm. In the Lord, stand firm in the power of his strength. We talked about spiritual armor and all that. We talked about the devil. We talked about how deceptive he is. We talked about his agenda. His agenda is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And we unpacked all that last week. We talked about that he's a, he's a, he's a master of deceiving you. He's a master of that. And the enemy would like to leave a lie in your heart. One of the things he would do, one of his strategies is, man, we talked about, 1 Corinthians, let us not be ignorant about his devices, his schemes, his strategies, how he wants to dupe you and deceive you. And one of the ways that he does that is he lies to you. So one of the things I want to do is this morning is kind of illustrate that before we move on in Ephesians here. Because one of the things that he will do is he will tempt you and then he'll get you to participate in your own destruction. He will put lies in your heart, which you, will, you can struggle with those lies your entire life. And so let us not be ignorant of his devices here. He accuses you. He shames you. He guilts you. Look at what you did, he'll say to you there. And so, but now we're going to see here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 there on the screens that we're not fighting against, we're not fighting against, okay, flesh and blood enemies, but against, notice against, 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 against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world 
against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. The point is this, is that we can't see who the battle's against. Okay, it's against an unseen dark power there that we're battling against, but it's a very real battle, but it's in the unseen realm. It's in a spiritual realm there. And so these, there's a dark spiritual world out there. And so he says in verse 16, he says, look, in addition to this, what I just told you about the armor, he says, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery darts of the devil. And so what we learn there is there's fiery darts that are being launched at you. We talked about the shield of faith. We talked about putting on the helmet of salvation there. And so you have those days. Tell me if this isn't true. You have those days where literally it feels like there are flaming arrows that are coming at you. By that I mean every way that you've failed, every mistake you've ever made just feels like it's raining down on you. And so just like it's an attack there. And so how then do I know... How do I know when the enemy has a lie? How do I know when there's a fiery dart that's being launched at me? What does that look like? Well, this is what I like to do this morning. I like to just unpack maybe four of those, and there's more than that, but just four ways that this could be a lie that the enemy is telling you here. And so I'm going to suggest those, and you can kind of fill in the blank. I'm just going to talk about some generalities, but there are four lies of the devil here, of the enemy here. And so I'm going to be like him, okay? I'm going to be like him. Like, and you are just imagine yourself sitting down there or right there, okay? So this is the enemy. It says that he launches arrows at you. And so you can imagine that uh, you're sitting down there and uh, hey, would you, like a, would you like a glass of water? Let me get you a little water there and I'll get one for myself here. Get some water for myself and... Uh, so you know what? Uh, tell me, tell me a little about a little bit about your life there. How are how are things going? And uh, kind of how are things how are things going at home? How are things going at home there? And uh, things are things aren't well, huh? Okay, so you're fighting a lot. You know, if I could just tell you the truth, I can't even believe how you're making it. I mean, the life that you're living, and one person's blaming them, it's your fault, no, it's your fault. And honestly, when I'm watching what's going on in your family, I, I can't even believe that you're still in the relationship. And remember that we talked about in 1 Peter chapter 5, that Satan goes around, the devil goes around as a roaring lion. And you think about lions, they kind of secretly kind of sneak up on somebody and then attack, right? Then they attack. But they don't roar beforehand. Like the devil doesn't go like, hey, I'm coming. No, he deceives. He deceives, right? So he only roars after he's destroyed the prey. That's when he roars there. So, okay, man, I'm, we're role-playing here. So, so, hey, so tell me, it's, it's really bad, huh? So I don't even know how you're hanging in there. In fact, I, I don't know how that relationship is working. I mean, you know what? Your dad, can you, can you believe your dad? I mean, is he being a deadbeat dad or what? I mean, his life and... Man, I can't, be, I can't believe it. So the devil then can come in there and, and, and say things to us here. And so here's one of the lies that I would suggest that he would make to us. One of the lies is this, is that, hey, you know what? You'd be better off. I, just think about your life. You'd be better off if you weren't at this table. 
man, there's, uh, there's other tables over there. Why don't you just take something to eat? Oh, come with me. No, come, come with me. There's other tables that you want to be at rather than this table here. So come with me. Come, come, come. Check these other tables out over here. So don't, all that stuff you learn, don't believe, don't believe that truth. All the, all the stuff in the Bible. No, no, you need, you need to go do your own life. Go do your own life, your own thing. Just try it out there. You don't know how awesome it could be out there. And so uh, enemy lie number one is that if you've recently heard in your life, you've recently heard that you'd be better off at another table than this table when you've been sitting at this table. Be lie number one. Lie number two is this. Is that, hey, you know, the reality is this. The reality is this. The reality is, do some more water? Do some more? Okay. The reality is this, is that you are just not good enough. You're just not good enough. I mean, look at all the people out there. Look at all of them. You think you're going to make it? You think you're strong enough? You think you're smart enough? You really think you're just not good enough. And you need to get that inside your head. You're not good enough. And you will never be good enough. You'll never be good enough to make it in this world. You'll never be good enough to make it in school. You'll never be good enough to make it in your marriage. You'll never be good enough to make it as a parent. You just aren't good enough. And that's the reality. You just need to accept that and live in the reality of that, that you are not good enough. Lie number two. Another lie would look like this. The reality is this. You're just not going to make it. I mean, look around and wake up and smell the coffee because you are just, you're not going to make it. I mean, look around, look at yourself. There's no chance of your making it. You're never going to be free. You're, you're never going to be able to hope again. You're never going to, to be able to make the change that you need to make. Just accept it that you're not going to survive this ordeal. Just accept it, will you? You are not going to make it. That's the reality. Accept it there. So lie number three is you are never going to make it. Has anyone ever felt that lie in your life that given your circumstances, I'm just... I'm just not going to make it. Lie number four. Everyone, I just got to tell you, everyone is against you. Yeah, everyone's against you. You feel it, you know it, you sense it. I mean, when you go to work, right, you can tell. Like, remember the person, like, at the copy machine there? They didn't even look up at you when they, from they were copying this stuff. And the other person in the department, they're at their laptop. They didn't even look up to you. Face it, they all hate you. Everybody at your school hates you. Everybody at your family hates you. They all hate you. They can't stand you. So you just need to accept it there that everyone, they just tolerate you. Okay? They're just, they're out to get you. They don't like you. And so you might as well just accept the reality that everyone is against you. Everyone hates you. Just wake up and smell the coffee, will you? And have a little more fruit if you'd like there. And so the enemy can come with his lies. The enemy can come with his lies. And so continuing then in Ephesians on the screen there, it says, pray in the spirit at all times. Now, knowing that, knowing the enemy that you face. He says, pray at all times in the spirit and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And so Paul now says to them, after that you've got all this this armor because you're in a battle here, and Paul there is in prison there in Rome, 
writing back to the church at Ephesus, and he's written like six pages of a letter. And he's coming to the, to the conclusion, to the great climax, and the Holy Spirit says, Paul, one more thing, one more thing that I want you to say is tell them how to pray. They've got the armor and all that, but look, they can't do it if they don't understand how to pray here. And so we've seen in Ephesians, as we've gone through Ephesians for the past few months, that we are super blessed. We've seen that we have, we've talked about God, identity, and everything in between. We saw how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, how we've been adopted, how we've been forgiven. We're not forsaken. We're chosen by God before the foundation of the world there, that we're sons and we're daughters of God's family there, that you're alive, that you have a new life. You have a new life in him, that everything is new and everything changes, that you're recipients of God's eternal grace. How amazing is that? You are God's masterpiece, he said, and you're given spiritual gifts and training equipped to use those gifts, that that's what God has done for you. So he's then given you good works for you to do. And so, and it even gets better. You're actually the habitation. You are the home of God's Holy Spirit. And you can, he can do for you beyond anything that you could ask or even imagine. You've received the love of God and you are the light of God there. So it's shine as beacons of light. He's given you wisdom and he's given you strength by his Holy Spirit. You're empowered and then filled and continually filled Ephesians 5.18 with the power of the Holy Spirit. And then you're given the power to live a new life as a husband, as a wife, as a single person, as a child, being married or not married. You're given new power to live that life. And then he says, then you're given uh, the spiritual armor, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth and your feet are covered with the gospel of peace there. And he closes out all of that with this as a call to prayer. So this is the great climax here. And what he's going to do is going to say, look, I've got six ways, six essentials that your prayer life would be awesome. Six ways to beef up, to boost, to increase, to transform, to change your prayer life. And here it is. It says, verse 18, pray, first of all, in the spirit. In other words, self, or not self-directed, but spirit-directed prayer. And so to be directed by God's spirit. In other words, watch, not to just pray like rote, repetitious, where you're depending on your own thoughts and energy to pray, but to pray in the spirit. Not routine, not uh, rhythms there, not recited prayers or mundane kind of formula prayers there, but to pray actually in the spirit. And, and what does that mean? Well, Jesus cautioned us about doing that very thing. He said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 on the screens, or excuse me, uh, chapter 6, verse 7, he said, and when you pray, don't dabble around as the Gentiles do. They're not your example. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again. No, he says, you, my last exhortation, Paul says, is you would pray in the spirit. Pray under the influence of the, of the Holy Spirit. In other words, pray you can pray consistent with the Spirit there, where you join your prayers to the Spirit of God. And so you rely on the power, the inspiration, the influence 
of the Holy Spirit there. And so Romans even says this when Paul writes the church at Rome, that sometimes, you know what, here's the reality. Look it, here's the reality. Sometimes you don't know how to pray. Is that true? How many people, sometimes you don't know how to pray, that you pray about, about 20, okay, about the rest of us. Sometimes you don't know how to pray, right? Sometimes I don't know how to pray. I have no idea how to pray. So the Bible says that knowing that the Spirit then helps us, helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray. We know how to pray. We don't know how to pray as we should. So what does God do? The Spirit then comes alongside, helps us, stands in the gap, intercedes for us so that we can know how to pray there. And so he steps in. This should be super encouraging because the real reality is that we all need help beginning with the speaker here this morning. Because sometimes it's too, it's too complicated. Sometimes you don't know the direction of the prayer that you should be praying there. We don't always know what. We don't always know how to pray. And so I don't sometimes know how to pray. I was thinking about this the last about three weeks. This last week, I had a situation I didn't know how to pray for. And about, I don't know, it was three or four weeks ago, another situation with one of my sons. I didn't know how to pray. I had no idea how to pray. And so I get a text from my, one of my sons, and it says this. I'm quoting the text here. Quote, keep praying. I get into Columbia soon, exclamation mark. And I read that on my phone, and I thought, I'm not really sure that I want to pray that prayer. But he says, keep praying. I get into Columbia soon. Like, I don't think so. And so here's the background the background is Columbia for this job is based in Afghanistan. My son is going to go fly in Afghanistan for Columbia for the military. And I'm thinking Al-Qaeda, Taliban, bad guys, shooting, all that. Far away, Afghanistan. Pray that I'll get in soon. <laughs> no, I'm not going to pray. I am not going to pray that prayer. I'm not trying to be cute. I am thinking, I'm not going to pray that prayer. So I texted back. I said, I will pray. And I was careful. I just want to pray God's will over your life. Pray that he'll open the door that he wants you to go. And I'm like, I need the, I need the spirit. I can't, I, I don't know how to pray that about, about that. I need the spirit. You know what I'm saying? So we need the spirit. So he says, first of all, pray in the spirit. This very week, another one of my sons says, Pray that I'll get into the certain dorm on campus, beachfront dorm. <laughs> Nicest dorm on campus. Pray I'll get in. So I call him up Friday morning, and I, and I said, and Lord, and again, I don't know how to pray. I'm not going to pray just for that, but I'm going to pray God's will, because I don't know if God has something else for him. So, so we're praying on the phone, and hey, let's pray God's will. He opens a door where he wants you to be. He ended up in the beachfront dorm, but I didn't pray specifically for that. I pray just God's will be done, and I believe that's God's will for him. But the bottom line is this, is that all of us, you're going to have situations, you just don't know how to pray there. And so what it's saying is you need to develop a lifestyle of dependence on God there. So in your notes, prayer is a lifestyle that's dependent on the Holy Spirit. Where every single, every single thing in your life is something to talk about to God. Everything, everything is something to talk about. Pray in the Spirit, then he says, at all times. This is a way of life. 
pray in the Spirit at all times. So secondly, this is talking about life-saturated prayer. Life-saturated prayer. The best time to pray is all the time. That's the best time to pray there. And so anything that we can think about posting on social media, perhaps we can also think about praying about. And so it says here, pray at all times. When things are good, pray. When things are bad, pray. When there's triumphs, pray. When there's tragedies, pray. When you're finishing well, pray. When you're failing miserably, pray. When God feels close and intimate, pray. When God feels far away and distant and out there, pray. Pray in the Spirit at all times there. Additionally, he says this. He says there are special, I talked about this last week, this, the prayer is to be pray at all time, not calendar time. There is that part of it, calendar time pray. But then there is, he's talking about kairos, which is a specific opportunity in the midst of the calendar. So there are those circumstances, those seasons, those moments, that those ripe moments, those windows of opportunity that if you don't get it right and you don't seize it, you may not get that again. So he's talking about that also there, that, that there are prayer moments that you face and that opportunity may not come around again. That's an opportunity that God has for you there. So pray about that. So prayer is a lifestyle in your notes where God loves you to talk to him. He just loves that you, you would talk to him. To keep, here it is. You just keep a running dialogue. There's people you have running di- text dialogues with. There's, so running texting to God there. Just a regular dialogue, ongoing dialogue there. So it says, pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. In other words, it's all encompassing. It's all encompassing here. It's comprehensive. Pray in every way you can possibly pray. In every kind, in every circumstance that you can pray in. It calls, he's calling us for prayer. So in every season, at every juncture, at every turning point, at every significant mark there, at every defining moment, every matter that you face is on all occasions. Pray. This is your life here. Psalm 55, verse 17. The psalmist said, they said, evening and morning and noon, I will pray. Do I pray in the morning? Yes. Do I pray in the noon? Yes. Do I pray in the evening? Yes. Do I pray all night? Yes. Sometimes maybe you have insomnia and you can't sleep. Maybe sometimes the Spirit of God is tapping you on the shoulder that, hey, this is a time to pray. That you, you just wake up and you're alert. Maybe God wants to speak to you there. And so pray on all occasions. Pray, there's prayers of forgiveness and prayers of repentance and prayers for other people and prayers for blessing and prayers for thanksgiving and prayers for praise. Pray on, on all those occasions. And so, and what manner of prayer? Well, here it is. Remember our context is war, warfare, being attacked. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. It literally means don't go drowsy in the journey here. Don't get drowsy. Don't fall asleep. Be on guard. Stay awake because there's something super important to carry out here. It speaks of a wakeful, a wakeful frame of mind is what it's talking about here. And so to be continually like on standby alert, knowing that you're in a battle. There's a war. We battle not against flesh and blood, but we are in a battle. So there you need to stay alert. Stay engaged, like get engaged and stay engaged. 
And then he says this on the screens. He says, be persistent. Pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert. And be persistent. Persistent prayer. Well, what does that look like? It means over the long haul, just to be tenacious, to stay in the game, to be unrelenting, to be relentless, to be continual. It means not to give up. To stay in, in communion and communication with your commanding officer there, you have to pray continually there. Persistent prayer. Now, Jesus talked about this. Jesus said in, in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Ask, and it's going to be given to you. Seek, and you'll find, and knock, and the door will be opened to you. Now, watch. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Because here's what it means. It means to ask and keep on asking. It means to seek and keep on seeking. It means to knock and keep on knocking. Not just, not just to, and you're done. It means, and it also means this, each one of those words, okay? To ask, to seek, and to knock. Ask is a little bit of intensity. Seeking, Dial it up a little bit more intensity, and knocking is like serious, like crashing the door intensity. So he's saying, look, in your life, okay, when you pray, it says, pray and keep on praying, knocking and seeking, and don't give up there. So this is what Paul is talking about, how we're to pray, because we're at war. We should never forget that. So prayer is a lifestyle in your notes. That's persistent. Prayer is a lifestyle that's persistent. And finally, he says this, and for all believers everywhere. The idea here is praying not just for yourself, how easy it is to pray for yourself. Things are good, things are bad, praying for ourselves. He says, and pray, um, assume you pray for yourself, but pray for others and build that in, into your life there. Others-focused prayer is what he's talking about here, where the reality is this. We depend on one another. We depend on one another, and we, we do this journey in community. Part of that journey is praying for one another there, a lifestyle depending on one another. So prayer is a lifestyle of our prayers together, not just my prayers. It's our prayers together. So God is going to start. What he's going to do is this. In the journey, God will do this. God will put people on your heart. God will give you things to do. God will give you things to stop. God will give you things to start. And then you, you start, or for others, and you begin to pray those things for them. So he says, pray for others, not just our own concerns. And then verse 19, Paul encourages them to pray. And then he tells them, watch, to pray for him. On the screens, verse 19. And pray for me too. And ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly proclaim his mysterious plan that the good news is for everyone. This is for everyone. And so he, I'm challenged by Paul's prayer. And this is why I'm challenged. I think you should be challenged too. Because Paul doesn't say, watch what he doesn't pray for. Remember, he's in chains. Pretty uncomfortable. He's in chains there. But watch what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't say, hey, bro. Uh, you know, I've been, it's been injustice that I was thrown in this big house in the first place. Would you pray that we get even with those Romans? Would you pray that I'd be, I'd be released here? He doesn't pray for that. He doesn't pray. There's nothing wrong with praying for our health, but he doesn't pray for his health. 
I mean, this has been, this has been a, a, a hellish existence for years. Doesn't pray for itself. Again, we should pray for one another's healing. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Pray for our healing. Absolutely. But I just want to point out here that Paul doesn't say like, you know what? I've been in these chains and like, it's been rubbing on my leg like forever, like my right leg. Would you pray for my right leg? He, he doesn't say that. What he says here is pray. I keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Now see Paul there in Roman custody. He's in chains. He's, he's been in discomfort for years and, he, and he's been doing this, watch. He's been doing this for 30 years. 30 years he's been doing this. He wrote two thirds of the Bible. And do you think he's, he's living out of, his, out of his, his past experience and his ability to be able to preach? Do you think he was bold? Yeah, he was bold. He was known for, he was fearless, known for his boldness. But what he does, he says, look, it's been 30 years, but I'm asking you to pray for me. I'm asking you to pray that I would still be bold in the twilight of my speaking, that I would be bold and I'd be able to declare the good news of the gospel. And that's what his prayer he was asking for. So he's in this painful reality of his life. He's in, he's in prison there. He says, look, I need you to go to battle for me. Who knows this, this, the season that he was in there. He says, I'm in chains, but this isn't about my chains. There's more than that. It's about, it's about what God wants to do in me and, and through me. So pray for me that I would be bold, that I would be fearless in declaring the good news here. And just pray that I open my mouth, that the truth would come out as it has in the past. In fact, he says, because I am here in prison, but I'm not the prisoner of Rome. I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And I would say to you, whatever your circumstances are, though you may feel like you're in prison, that our lives, we need to see our lives as more than imprisoned by our circumstances because he says, I'm not the prisoner of Rome. I'm the ambassador. I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ. And so 2 Corinthians says, we're therefore Christ's ambassadors. And then verse 21, I want to introduce to you, we're doing three things this morning. One was talk about prayer. Two, talk about Tychicus. And three, we're going to have communion. I want to talk about somebody that should inspire you. I want to talk about somebody that you could model your life after. I want to talk about somebody who's an unsung hero. I want to talk about somebody you want your kids to grow up and be like this guy. So let's read this, verse 21. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and faithful helper. Or some of your Bibles read, minister in the Lord's work. And so they're all stressed out, right? What's, what's Paul doing? Is Paul going to make it? Is Paul going to get out of prison? Paul going to have a trial? They're all stressed out in Rome. So Tychicus then, watch this. Tychicus is going to go to them and going to say, hey, I'm speaking on behalf of Paul. Let me tell you how it's doing. He's doing okay. Calm down, chill out. He's going to be all right. That's what Tychicus was going to do for them. So Paul had this network of people, dozens of people in his life, and he had a team. There was no one that was more important to him on his team than Tychicus. And so he says, he's my, my beloved brother. Like we're, we have this warm, close relationship. We are connected here. And so but what I want to point out is this, and here's why you want to listen and learn about Tychicus. Because he's just like us. You can identify with him. He's a regular guy. 
He's not a, he's not a, there's no Bible, uh, there's no uh, books of the Bible named after him. He's not a celebrity uh, Christian in the Bible there. He's just a regular, everyday guy. Paul so depends on him that in the twilight of his life, when he's ready to be, have his head removed from his body, and he's going to be executed, he says, where's Tychicus? So I need Tychicus. I need Tychicus to come to me. Of all the people they could ask, this is the guy that he wants here that he depends on. So it gives you a window of insight about how amazing this guy was. And he says, look, when he's, gonna, when he's going to send the scripture, it's breathed by God, this letter, breathed by God, like we've read the letter for the, for the last few months here. And he says, Tychicus, I need you to take the eternal truth of Ephesians and I need you to deliver it to the church there at Ephesus. And he takes the scripture. Imagine if he wasn't faithful with that. We wouldn't have this today if it wasn't for Tychicus. He also took the letter to the church at Colossae. says, take this to the Colossians. So Tychicus is the one there that was handling. He's, he's delegated, physically carried the letters to the churches. But on one hand, you could be like this. Oh, Tychicus. Yeah, he's like the mailman. He's like the gospel mailman. He's just, he's just running errands for Paul. That's all he is. He's kind of insignificant, and he's kind of doing menial jobs there. I beg to differ because he's taking the original manuscript of the Scripture that is entrusted to him, Colossians and Ephesians there, and he, watch this. When you pick up your Bible, never forget this. This, the scripture was originally in Tychicus's hands. It was in his hands and he delivered it there. And so this is huge for us because he's an ordinary guy. He's not Mr. Prominent. He's not uh, a visible person. He's someone that was never in the spotlight. He's not a celebrity. No hype, no vibe, no air of self-importance there. He was just like this. He was a God, give me something to do. I'm just going to get that done. He was that guy. He's the guy when we're setting up chairs, we're, we're breaking down chairs and setting them up at the end. Tychicus would be like, hey, uh, my name's Tychicus. Could I help? Can I help with, with the chairs? He'd be that guy. And you wouldn't even know that he was working there. He was a behind the scenes type of person there. But he was faithful. He was faithful. And he, and he had this uh, capacity to handle Great responsibilities there. And so he inspires trust. He inspires loyalty. He inspires reliability. He is an unsung hero. So I was concluding and just pondering and thinking about this and putting my final thoughts on it. I came to this conclusion. I have three sons. And I said to myself, I would be delighted if my sons became like him. I would just be delighted. You want to grow up. I'm telling you, you want to grow up to be like Tychicus. You want to be like him. And you know what I'm so grateful for? That many of you, and I look at you, and I know so many of you, you are already like him. And I want to affirm you, as Paul affirmed Tychicus, that you are like him. And I would say at this church, we have hundreds of Tychicus. And every church needs them. Every great church has them. And you, so many of you, are like him. 
So God bless you and thank you for being like Tychicus. Right on? Verse 22 on the screens. I sent him to you for this very purpose, to let you know how we're doing and to encourage you. Huh. Huh. Think of that. Paul's in prison. Paul is is chained to a Roman guard. Do you think he could use some encouragement? What do you think? I think he could use a little encouragement. But what does he do? I'm writing you. I want to encourage you. How great is that? Someone in the most dire of circumstances, suffering for years, who needed to be encouraged, and he says, I just want to encourage you. I want to comfort you. I know you're stressed out. So I'm going to send Tychicus to you. And he's going to comfort you and he's going to encourage you. And he's going to tell you how I'm doing. And then he concludes with a blessing, like we conclude, and we're going to conclude in a bit with a blessing. He says, Peace to you, dear brothers and sisters. May God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, love you with faithfulness. May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, may God continue to pour out his grace upon you, his free and undeserved, unearned grace, a favor secured by Jesus Christ. As I pray for his peace and his grace upon you.